Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to OCC. I'm Jonathan. Happy Father's Day. We're glad you're with us here. We're glad you guys are joining us online. Thanks for being with us. Um, some of the best ad advice my dad ever gave me, uh, he actually just said recently to me, he said, talking about parenting, I wish I knew back then what I know now. Uh, I guess we do the best that we can. <laughs> and I thought that was funny because isn't that true? We do the best we can with what we've got at the time that we've been given it. And we just trust God to do the rest, right? I, I think that's good advice. Reflecting, oh yeah, there's me. That's my dad. There's me in the red sweatshirt and my older brother. Uh, that picture was taken a little while ago, not yesterday. <laughs> um, when I think about Father's Day, and I think about my dad, I always kind of reflect on memories. And one that always um, sticks in my head is when I was 11 or 12, uh, my dad and I took a car trip. So this is in the kind of early mid-90s. Um, and we drove from Dallas, Texas to Denver, Colorado. My dad needed to return a company car. Um, Google says that the drive is over 12 hours, and my dad decided to make the trip in two days. So we drove up through the Texas panhandle, we stopped at Paladuro Canyon, um, which, uh, show me the map here, Oren, if you can, there we go. We stopped at Paladuro Canyon, which is near Amarillo, um, and it's really quite pretty. Some people call it the um, Grand Canyon of Texas. And we ate cheap Mexican food. We stayed in kind of a sketchy motel. We had an incredible guy's time. Um, actually, Paladuro Canyon is really quite pretty. My uh, geologist father got me interested in the rock formations there. Um, if you ever happen to be in the panhandle, I recommend it. There's not much else there to see. It's kind of deserty, except for that. Um, now, that's interesting, right? But the part of the trip that was so terrifying for me and what made it memorable is that my dad brought along a 10-cassette series from a Christian group, and it taught me all about puberty and girls <laughs> and sex and the whole thing, right? He taught me about everything. And, you know, we, we listened to the whole series as we drove, um, and then we talked about it. And as an 11-year-old, there I am, as an 11-year-old, um, that was awkward, and I was pretty uncomfortable most of the time talking about it. But as an adult now, my wife Angela and I have three little ones, I look back at that time with so much fondness and thankfulness. I mean, I'm glad that my dad had the courage to bring up those conversations with me. Um, and then he took the time to be with me when, you know, he didn't have to take his youngest son on a 12 and a half hour car drive to Denver. He could have used that as like a, you know, get away from home time. Um, but instead he said, I'm going to spend this time with my son and, and kind of train him up in the ways of the Lord. And I'm really thankful for that. Um, Father's Day can bring up a wide range of emotions. You can laugh about awkward conversations you had. Um, you might have some great memories about your dad. You might also have some hard memories about your father. Uh, my wife lost her dad two years ago to cancer in, in June, um, and Father's Day looks very different to her now than it did for the first 36 years of her life. Our parents have a massive effect on our lives, whether we like it or not. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Firestone writes, from the moment we open our eyes, we are absorbing our parents' point of view and entire way of being in the world. So this doesn't doom us to a life of being replicas of the people who raised us. That's good news. However, it does mean that we inherit a complex set of both apparent and invisible lessons from our parents that impact our lives in all kinds of ways that we may not expect. This is just 
a little, I mean, a sidebar. This one's for free. I've learned through counseling um, that engaging with and figuring out what the invisible lessons that our parents have given to us, uh, good or bad, is an important and healthy part of growing up. Um, we could call that reparenting ourselves. I've heard it called that before. It's just a part of growing up. For some people, it can take their whole lives, but let me encourage you, if you haven't taken the time to dig into that, do that. Seek some professional Christian counseling help. Internal work is essential for health. Okay, like I said, that was a sad bar. All that to say, if you have a positive or a negative connotation to Father's Day, to this holiday, in contrast, our Father in Heaven is the best dad that we could ever ask for. He is infinite, he is perfectly holy, and he is crazy in love with sinners like you and me. So in our time today, we're going to talk about a few characteristics of who God is and how we as his children can be better because of his example. So for the dads in the room, for the dads online, for the future dads, for those of you who have a father, take note. This example of father is impossible to replicate, but essential to imitate. The Bible describes our dad in heaven like this, Psalm 103:8. the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I think everybody needs a good hobby. Right? We need a hobby to take our minds off the things that we do Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. What, what, what's your hobby? I think everybody needs a good hobby. For some reason, mine is collecting Lego sets. It probably has something to do with me trying to recapture lost portions of my childhood. Maybe I need to do some more of that reparenting that we just talked about. Uh, but for whatever reason it is, I collect lots of Lego sets. I'm particularly attached to them, and they are my precious. So it might not come as a surprise to you that my three kids also like Legos. I mean, they agreed to it when they were born, so that's a requirement of being in our family. They have to like Legos. So there are specific sets in our house that have been designated as not for playing. And there are specific sets that have been designated as you can play with these. So I came home from work one day and I found Jude, my four-year-old, playing with this. Now that is a Lego At-At Walker from episode five, The Empire Strikes Back. It's a rare Lego set. I still have the box and it's actually, I'm not missing any, it's an important Lego set to me. And Jude was playing with it and all I could think of was, what if he loses a piece? And so I said, Jude, what are you thinking? I was mad, right? I was mad, he started to cry. I was using my angry dad voice, um, and then Angela came over, put her hand on my shoulder, and said in a very gentle voice, he doesn't know which ones are for playing and which ones are not for playing. They're just toys. I mean, she was right, right? She's right. I lost it, I yelled at my sweet son over a toy. Um, I hadn't effectively shown him or taught him which sets were you allowed to play with and which ones you're not? I mean, it's a toy, right? It's not a big deal. So that's a, just one example of how I mess up as a dad. Um, there are more, but fortunately for us, our Father in Heaven is perfect, and He does not mess up, 
and he has all the attributes that we all hope for in our own fathers. God our Father has a long fuse, he has a short memory, a thick skin, and a huge heart. That's what we're going to talk about today. So first, God our Father has a long fuse. Open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 32. Um, you can do it in your real Bible, or you can do it in your YouVersion Bible app. Um, when we're, while you're turning there, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. King David wrote that Psalm 103, and he quotes uh, some passages from where we're going to be in Exodus, so we'll come back to that Psalm in a minute. If you're not familiar with what's happening in this passage, let me catch you up. The nation of Israel has been slaves in, uh, to the Egyptian pharaoh for more than 400 years. They cried out to God and asked for help. God appointed Moses to go and lead the people out of Egypt. After 10 plagues, where God shows that he is indeed the one true God, Pharaoh relents and lets Israel go free. Then God shows his power again by splitting open the Red Sea. You're familiar with this, right? And then he leads his people through the sea on dry ground. Now you're turning to chapter 32. We're not quite there yet. In chapter 24 in the story, Moses goes up a mountain to talk with God. He's up there 40 days and 40 nights, and I'm not sure what the people, the nation of Israel, were thinking while they were camped at the base of the mountain. They may have gotten bored, but whatever the reason, while Moses was at the top of Mount Sinai talking directly to God, the people started expressing their gratitude to God by worshiping an idol of a golden calf made out of discarded jewelry. And on top of that, they were getting drunk and engaging in all forms of sexual immorality and debauchery. So hopefully you're in Exodus 32, verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it, and they've said, These are your gods, Israel. Notice the little G there. Who brought you up out of Egypt... I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. So that's not a good situation, right? Moses pleads on behalf of Israel. He begs for God to change his mind in verses 11 through 14, and then we catch up here in verse 14. God hears him. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Whew. Disaster averted. We're all good, right? So Moses heads down the mountain with the freshly minted Ten Commandments, and then he loses it. Look at verse 19 now. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain, and he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. These crazy people just saw God part the Red Sea, and now they're bowing down before a statue. Moses is mad. And honestly, I understand why, right? I've been there. You've been there. We've gotten mad at our kids. We've been disappointed before and overreacted. Moses is angry, and he throws God's handwritten stone tablets to the ground, and they shatter. 
But thank you, God, for having a long fuse. He takes Moses back to the top of Mount Sinai, and before he begins patiently writing down the Ten Commandments a second time, in chapter 34, verse 6, it says, the Lord passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's the verse that King David quotes hundreds of years later in Psalm 103. God's got a long fuse. Okay, so here's the point of this. Yes, God gets angry, but he puts up with a great deal before reaching his boiling point. Over and over and over again, the Bible tells us the reason God exercises such great patience is he's hoping that we'll take advantage of this extension of his grace to turn from our sin, seek his forgiveness, and begin to obey him. Yet most of us make the mistaken assumption that God's patience really means he isn't that concerned about our disobedience. And so we abuse his patience. Thank God he's got a long fuse. So we're gonna have a little group participation here. So say this verse with me that's on the screen, just 103 verse eight. Together we say, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Sounds good, everybody. Second, God our Father has a short memory. If God kept a detailed record of our sins, none of us would ever be able to stand before him. Isaiah 57, God says, I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry, for then they would faint away because of me, the very people I have created. God's children literally forgot about the deity who just performed these miracles to release them from slavery in Egypt. So make that real for you. Imagine you go up to Cleveland, maybe you have lunch, and then you go to see the lake. And so you start walking north to the lake and then a pillar of fire comes down from heaven and the wind blows and the lake splits open. And you start to walk through the bottom of the lake on dry ground. And you keep walking and a couple hours later you show up in Canada. Cool, right? So when you go to dinner that night and you sit down and whoever's sitting opposite you says, what'd you do today? What was your day like? How was your day, honey? And you say, oh, I just went and got a gallon of milk. It was boring, normal day. Um, no, you would say, I walked through the lake on dry ground and ended up in Canada, and they wanted to know how I got there. No, you would explain to them the miracle that happened, right? You wouldn't forget about it that so easily. So those stupid Israelites, I can't believe they forgot that. But before we start looking down our nose at the Israelites, aren't we just like that? Can you hear this? Are you ready? We show up to church on Sunday. We say, how are you? We say, great. How are you? I'm awesome. Everything's perfect. And then we go home and on Monday we forget that God is still with us. And we worship the golden calf of work and status and the golden image of our personal fame and glory. Our daddy has every right to remember our sins. Yet, he will not accuse them forever, nor will he always be angry. He will not accuse. He chooses 
to unremember our sin. Okay, ready? Say it with me. Verse 9, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Okay, third point, God has a thick skin. You can hear in our house sometimes. Okay, everyone, family meeting in the living room, and Angela and I sit down with our three, usually on the carpet, and it's time for one of those come to Jesus conversations. Someone's been fighting, someone's been complaining, and we gotta figure it out. And when we get into these conversations, I just immediately wanna start listing out every infraction that the kids have done. You didn't pick up this, you didn't do your homework here, you didn't put your shoes away. When I asked you to help with the table, you didn't. And I, I just start into it, right? And then Angela looks at me gently, and, and there's, there's a look that we've understood now, it's not the look, it's a look, and she says to me, pick your battles. Through her words, through her eyes, she says, pick your battles. First of all, on a side note, she's watching right now, um, I love you, babe, thank you. I literally couldn't do this without you. Um, so we can't just give our kids an overwhelming deluge of all of their infractions and expect them to do anything about it. It overwhelms them. We have to pick our battles, choose the right times to discipline, correct, and redirect. In the same way, if God punished us every time we deserved it, we'd be in this perpetual state of receiving retribution. Every time we turned around, God would be coming down on us for a selfish attitude or hurtful words or prideful spirit or materialism or indifference to the needs of others or something. It would be something. And Paul writes to the church in Rome, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. He gives Moses and the people another set of stone tablets and another chance. There are a lot of things that God never brings up to us because he's chosen to have patience with us. His kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. He has a long fuse, a short memory. He's got thick skin. All right, say this verse with me. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And finally, we remember that God, our Father, has a big heart. David tells us that when we ask God to forgive our sins, he removes them as far as the east is from the west. That's infinity, right? It can't be measured. That's the point. I mean, have you ever wondered how serious God is about removing our sin from us? Have you ever thought about that? The Bible uses all kinds of metaphors to help us understand what God does with our sin when he literally removes it from us as far as the east is from the west. There's just a couple that I'm gonna put up here on the screen. There are many more. Uh, some of these are helpful uh, imagery for me. I'm a visual person. Micah 7, God tramples it underfoot and throws it in the deepest part of the sea. Isaiah 38, he takes our sin, puts it behind his back where he can't see it. Isaiah 44, he sweeps it away just like the morning mist. In Jeremiah 31, he refuses to remember it, block it out of his memory. Have you ever experienced that kind of forgiveness? 
Really think about it. Have you experienced that grace? How big a heart does our Heavenly Father have for forgiven sinners? It, that can't be measured. It's infinity. This morning, wherever you are, He wants you to rest in that grace. He wants you to come and confess your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in the work that Jesus did on the cross, the pain, the penalty that he took upon himself, and the blood that he shed that washes away our sin so you can be forgiven and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants. We sometimes don't take full advantage of his forgiveness. Just like the Israelites forgot over and over and over again, we don't rest in the peace that has been bought for us by Jesus on the cross. You've forgotten that God has a long fuse, a short memory, a thick skin, and a big heart. You might not have had an earthly father who is characterized by these traits, but your heavenly father wants you to be secure in the love that he has for you. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we're dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. Similar to the Ecclesiastes series we just finished. Um, if, if you haven't been able to engage with that or catch all four of the sermons, they're online. Let me encourage you, listen to them. It helps us engage, just like this verse does, with, with the, the frailty, the brevity, the vapor, the mist of our lives. And some good news is that like a compassionate father, God understands our humanity. He factors in our frailty when he weighs his responses to us. Every good dad knows that there's an appropriate time to demand a certain toughness from their kids. But good dads know their kids' limitations. Do you think our Heavenly Father is any less sensitive than an earth dad who weighs these factors when dealing with a child? I mean, look at this. When Moses went back up the mountain to get the second set of stone tablets, God promises something to him. Exodus 34, verse 10. Exodus 34, verse 10. I am making a covenant with you, God says. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Friends, when was the last time you were in an impossibly difficult situation? I can't take any more, you might say. I can't take another demand from my boss. I can't take one more bad medical report. I can't take one more friend moving away. I can't take one more moral failure in the same area. I can't take one more morning of waking up with pain or one more night waking up with the newborn who won't sleep. I can't take another rejection, cruel word from my spouse, another bill, you, you get where I'm going. Doesn't God know how much I can take? And friends, he does. God knows you and he knows you intimately and he knows exactly what you can take. And just as well as God knows your limitations, hear me here, friends. God also knows what he is capable of doing in and through your life if you just ask him. Psalm 103, 17, but from everlasting to everlasting, that's infinity again, 
The Lord's love is with those who fear him. Are you experiencing the full measure of the Father's love in your life? He wants you to. He wants you to know his big heart. Our daddy has a long fuse, a short memory, a thick skin, and a huge heart. We're wrapping up today. Fathers, we have an incredible call. Thank you for who you are, for who God made you to be. I love being a dad, and and I hope you do too. We get to love our kids, and we get to follow the example of God as our Father in heaven. And while his perfect nature is impossible to replicate, remember, it's essential to imitate. Thank you for the work you guys do every day to love your families well. Can we clap, church? Can we clap and thank the dads who are with us today? Thank you. Thank you, dads. Thank you, dad watching. So starting next week, June 26, and going through August 14, we're going to set things up in this room a little bit different. Uh, We decided to call these next eight weeks our summer together, and we'll be encouraging connection all morning by having slightly shorter services. We're going to set up the chairs in this room a little bit different so that we feel closer together, and really the vision for this is for people who normally don't have time or feel safe or have a space to engage with other people at church on Sunday morning, for them to be able to do that and have good conversation. We call them divine appointments. We're praying that we will have divine divine appointments and conversations with people at church. Instead of just the, hey, I'm good, how are you? You're good, okay, great. Well, I mean, for example, what if you're about to be a dad and you're terrified and you don't know how to be a dad? You're surrounded by men in this church who are already dads. That's just one example. How many women in here would love to learn from an an older woman or another woman who's going through the same life experience as her? We're hoping to set up that um, environment in this space and out in the lobby so that people can have these good conversations, these good connections. We're also going to have several community organizations here over the next eight weeks. Um, Those representatives are going to be in the building. They're going to have a table set up out there. You're going to be able to engage with them and find ways that you can serve and love others in our community. And they're going to be here in the building. You're going to have time after service to do it. It couldn't be easier. So we're looking forward to that. That's the next eight weeks June 26th through August 14th. Finally, everyone, if you can, call your dad today. Maybe he's um, not with us anymore, or maybe you don't have a good relationship with him. Maybe that's not possible. I understand. But call your earthly dad if you can. Even more than that, call your heavenly dad. There's nothing you could do to make God love you any more, and there's nothing you could do to make God love you any less. He simply loves you because he made you and he wants a relationship with you. He has a huge heart, and he would love to get a call from you today. Can I pray for us? Bow our heads. God, thank you for your perfect nature, your holy, holy, perfect nature. You are infinite. You know all things. You exist in all places at once. You have never um, committed a sin. You've never done anything wrong. You are perfect. You are the absolute best example of a father we could ever ask for. And we thank you for that from the bottom of our hearts. And now we ask you for help. The process of sanctification. You're shaping and molding us and changing us into the image and the likeness of your son Jesus. You are constantly at work in our lives. Thank you for your patience with us as we fail. 
Thank you for your exhortation when we need kind of a, a kick in the pants. You love us so much like a good dad loves his children. And we thank you for that. Help us now as we remember that you are a good father and we are your children. In your name, amen.